Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kiyoki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. Welcome to Two Hands Sangha, February 4th, 2024. Uh, one day after our 10th anniversary in this location and our, no, 10th anniversary in this location, 12 years since we started the group a few days ago. Um, Not 14. I had to issue a, a, what do they call it in the newspaper when they, when they get something wrong and they have to, I forget what that's called, but I had to, I had to reclaim what I said and go back and re-record stuff. But this time I verified the math to make sure that I wasn't incorrect. So it's, we've been doing the Sangha for 12 years and yesterday would have been 10 years since our first time sitting here in this room. And apparently it just felt like 14 years, but anyhow, I've been dealing with uh, a little plumbing issue at my house. The, it's a kind of a strange issue, which, which has been, it's kind of multifaceted and boring, so I won't get into it, but in a nutshell, my pressure regulator valve, water pressure regulator, is going bad, as far as I can tell. And I suspect with my vast knowledge of plumbing that it's the flapper or stem or whatever inside the valve, if that's even how that works. But I think that's what's malfunctioning. And so the rest of my pipes in my house, whenever we use, when we flush a toilet or turn on the sink or anything like that, the all the pipes in the basement are shaking a little bit and that's very bad and it has to be addressed quickly uh, and directly or it's going to cause other leaks to occur and that's what so it's kind of a ticking time bomb and that's what i'm trying to deal with and take care of and as i sat down to write this talk today i was kind of struck how well that suits (laughs) the topic i chose tonight because i had just come out of a, a a discussion with a friend of mine a good friend approached me about a number of concerns they had, all of which boiled down to what I would call and what the the Buddha might have referred to as idle chatter, um, something he strongly advised us not to engage in. And my poor friend probably received a little more than they bargained for because I spent so much of my, I spend so much of my effort and time and energy trying to help people learn these core concepts of the Dharma and more importantly, to practice them. And sometimes with all of the people who come to me, because he was just the latest one, not the only one, but with all of the people who come to me about things, 
sometimes I feel like it's not being heard and it's falling on deaf ears. And that's not true. It's just that when we, we, we each learn at our own speed and we each hear what we want to hear most often, not what is actually being said sometimes. And uh, we, hear, we hear, like I say, what we want rather than what we need most often. And then, of course, there's the matter of not just hearing it, but having a dedicated practice that actually supports the growth of what we're hearing. And so I've also been hearing a lot of this idle chatter lately. And my poor friend, as I mentioned, who was seeking a little additional view on their own, you know, for their own consideration, may have gotten more wisdom in those few minutes, in a little while than, than they bargained for. They may have received all of the wisdom that all of those people needed to hear, not just the wisdom that they were seeking, which was which is a polite way of saying that I opened up the Dharma floodgates on them and unleashed the dam, so to speak. I flooded the valley. The Dharma teaches us that wise speech is part of the Eightfold Path, and it's so important that the Buddha made it one of those eight things that he said were a core aspect of the whole of his teachings. You know, one of the core eight things that you needed to do, you critically needed to do in order to cultivate uh, and balance them in your life in order to reach freedom from suffering. But also it's so critical that he said it's one of the five things that you have to work with if you want to do those eight things as well as you possibly can. So he said, do these eight things and that's what you need to, to live a happy life and, and all of that. And he said, and if, and if you want to make it as easy as possible and as fast as possible uh, to achieve that happiness, also live by these five things. And one of those was a repetition of wise speech, basically. And so it's not simply a guideline for communication, but it's also a, a way of cultivating the mind for compassion and understanding uh, to cultivate wisdom and awakening. And wise speech, as taught by the Buddha, entails abstaining from false speech. So wise speech, which is in the Eightfold Path, and abstaining from false speech, which is part of the five precepts, uh, includes things like divisive speech or harsh speech or idle chatter, which is gossip. That's another way of saying gossip. And so gossiping and complaining hold a particular relevance in our, in our lives. And that's my main motivation for this topic tonight, because they're not just about the words that we utter, the things we say, but the intentions and emotions that fuel them and also about what we do with them and how we use them. Gossiping, in its essence, is a divisive act. Uh, it sows seeds of discord and mistrust, both amongst individuals as well as communities. And when we engage in gossip, we distance ourselves from truth. Often we are embellishing or speculating without regard for the impact of our words. Uh, and it's it's an insidious means of propagating that information, or it can be. And a critical point to remember always is that our speech is a reflection of our mind. And this is really critical. Like if I have a single point tonight, this would be it. Uh, our speech is a reflection of our mind. So if you're gossiping, if you're complaining about something and someone else or someone else, really that's a reflection of your own mind and not their actions. 
the Buddha, in his sermons on the topic, he reminded us of the importance of speaking words that are true, beneficial, and timely, urging us to speak only what is truthful, useful, timely, and kind. I use the mnemonic tutka is how I remember it, timely, useful, truthful, and kind. And another one that I use that I like for wise speech, I used to have it as my lock screen on my phone. I had this wallpaper on my phone that said think, and it was like a, a daisy or something in the background. And, and I had big capital letters, think is an acronym for, uh, it said think before you speak. And think stood for timely, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. And if it doesn't meet that, don't say it. <laughs> so think before you speak. If what you're saying doesn't meet those criteria, the Buddha simply said, it's not worth saying. You shouldn't say it if it doesn't meet those criteria. And he, he said all of those criteria, not some of them, but all of them. And if you pause and you apply those devices to your speech before you utter the words, what you'll find is that you don't talk very much because very little of what we all say, not just the, the people that I'm you know, that have been coming to me this week, but all of us, most of what we say doesn't really meet that criteria, you know, and it's a great time for me to point out here that uh, I'm as guilty as anyone of it. You know, I get together with my bestie and, you know, they're also a practitioner, thank goodness. <laughs> and, you know, we, we spill all the tea, we let loose sometimes, you know, and complain and, and, you know, get negative. The difference being that we're both ardent practitioners. Ardent, not perfect, but ardent. Ardent practitioners, which means that when we release the pressure from those thoughts on one another, we're, we are gossiping. We are in, engaging in divisive speech with one another. But the difference is that we're both practicing and we're both making a concerted effort to not then carry those things out to the world and cause harm with them. Is it full-blown wise speech? Nope, not at all. We are not following the Buddhist teachings because we wouldn't say those things if we were, even to each other. And we are doing better than we would be if we were out there bending everyone's ear about those things and spreading those seeds of discord and distrust. So, you might say we're planting those seeds, but we're not watering them. But we too could improve um, by not speaking those things in the first place if they don't meet the criteria, which they do not. <laughs> My point being that I'm not perfect and I don't claim to be, and, and that I understand that this is a hard thing to do and it's a work in progress. But for that work to progress, you have to be doing the work. And unfortunately, many people don't. So the overall message tonight is to remember that this is work and that we have to do that work. Now, gossip, which rarely meets those criteria, can thus be seen as a departure from the path of wisdom and compassion. Complaining, while sometimes a natural thing that comes from dissatisfaction, which is the Buddha said that life is inherently dissatisfactory or unsatisfactory, you know, that can become a corrosive habit if we indulge in it too much. Um, it can reflect an underlying aversion to whatever we're experiencing in the present moment. It can lead to a cycle of negativity that clouds all of our perceptions and hinders our ability to appreciate our present moment. 
the Buddha encouraged us to approach all of all of these things that we encounter with some equanimity, seeking to have some sort of constructive solution. In other words, cultivating a wholesome mindset of gratitude and acceptance. Wholesome meaning leading towards happiness, unwholesome meaning leading away from it. And just a few months ago, if that much, I shared a sutta, which I think is timely again tonight. So I'll share it with you again tonight, the instructions to Rahula at the mango stone. And if you if you don't know, Rahula was the Buddha's son. And he was only seven or eight years old, you know. He had he had just come to the monastics and ordained and become a monk, which also is when the Buddha decided that seven years old was the youngest someone should be to practice this stuff. So it starts out, thus I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying near Rajagaha in the bamboo grove at the squirrel's feeding ground. And at that time, Venerable Rahula was staying at the mango stone. Then the Blessed One, arising from his seclusion in the late afternoon, went to where Venerable Rahula was staying at the mango stone. Venerable Rahula saw him coming from afar, and on seeing him, set out a seat and water for him to wash his feet. The Blessed One sat down on the seat and that was set out, and having sat down, washed his feet. Uh, washed his feet. Venerable Rahula, bowing down to the Blessed One, sat to one side. Then the Blessed One, having left a little bit of water in the bowl from the dipper, said to Venerable Rahula, Rahula, do you see this little bit of water that's left in this bowl? And his son said, yes, sir. And he says, that's how little of a contemplative there is in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie. And so in other words, he's saying uh, there's very little water in here, and that's how much uh, of a contemplative there is of someone left who's willing to lie. So having tossed away that little bit of water, he said to Rahula again, do you see how this little bit of leftover water is just thrown away? And he says, yes, sir. He says, Rahula, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone, in other words, a good practitioner in anyone, who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is tossed away just like that. In other words, everything good in someone is tossed away when they tell a lie. Having turned the water dipper upside down, the Blessed One said to Rahula, do you see how this water dipper is turned upside down? Yes, sir. Rahula, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is turned upside down just like that. Having turned the water dipper right side up, the Blessed One said to Rahula, do you see how this empty and hollow vessel is? is? And he says, yes, sir. He says, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is empty and hollow, just like that. So liars are empty and hollow. Rahula, he says, it's like a royal elephant, immense, pedigreed, accustomed to battles. Its tusks are like chariot poles. Having gone into battle, it uses its forefeet, its hindfeet, its forequarters and hindquarters, head, ears, tusks, tail. But it keeps protecting its trunk. The elephant trainer notices this and thinks this elephant has not given up its life for the king. When the royal elephant, having gone into battle, uses its whole body, he sees the royal elephant has given its life to the king. There is nothing it will not do. In the same way, Rahula, when anyone feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie, there is no evil, I tell you, no evil that he will not do. Thus, Rahula, you should train yourself. I will not tell a deliberate lie, even in jest. What do you think, Rahula? What is a mirror for? So backing up a little bit there, he's saying to him that, the, you know, what our parents told us growing up, which is 
if you'll lie, you'll steal. If you'll steal, you'll cheat, you know, and so on. And, you know, it seems like a big leap from a white lie to being a murderer. But uh, the point is that it's degrees of degradation, you know. So he says, what do you think, Rahula? What is a mirror used for? For reflection, sir. And he says, in the same way, Rahula, bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions are to be done with repeated reflection. Whatever you want to do with your body, you should reflect on it. This bodily action I want to do, will it lead to self-affliction, the affliction of others, or to both? Would it be an unskillful bodily action with painful consequences and painful results? If on reflection that you know that it would lead to self-affliction and all of those other things, he says, then any bodily action of that sort is absolutely unfit for you to do. Um, if on reflection you know that it would not cause affliction, it would be skillful bodily action, pleasant consequences and pleasant results, then any action of that sort is good for you to do. While you are doing a bodily action, you should reflect on it in the same sort of uh, vein, you know. And he says, having done that, you should reflect on it again. This bodily action that I have done, did it lead to self-affliction and so on? And he says, you know, if it has, if it's a problem, then you should confess it to a teacher. Having confessed it, you should exercise restraint in the future. But if on reflection, you know that it did not cause any problems, then you do not need to confess it. And you should stay mentally refreshed and joyful training night and day in these skillful mental qualities. Whenever you want to do a verbal action, you should reflect on it. This verbal action, will it lead to a self-affliction? He goes through the whole process again of all of those examples. I'll save you the, the repetitious nature of it. But he says, having done a verbal action, if you reflect on it and it has not led to any problems, then it is fine for you to continue to do. You should, if it's, if it has been a problem, you should confess it and reveal it. If not, you should continue to do it day and night, leading to mentally refreshed, joyful training and continue with skillful mental qualities. Whenever you want to do a mental action, you should reflect on it. This mental action that I want to do. So he's gone through now a, a bodily action, a verbal action, and now he's doing the same process with the mental action of thoughts. And he says, when you should reflect on your thoughts before you do them, you should reflect on your thoughts while you're doing them. And you should reflect on your thoughts after you're doing them, after you're having those thoughts. Um, which is an awful lot of reflection, <laughs> but it's what, it's, what, it's what he says. And he says, then if it's leading to affliction, don't do it. If it's having these painful results and so on and so forth, he said, you should confess it to a teacher if need be. And if it's not causing you any problems, um, then you should, you should, you know, continue to do it, staying mentally refreshed and joyful, training night and day in these skillful mental qualities. One thing that's interesting is when he talks about confessing it to a teacher, which I kind of glossed over in all of those cases, but first of all, my, my Catholic childhood, uh, kind of, uh, recoils at the idea of confessing, but, but, uh, he's, uh, what he's saying is the what he's talking about confessing it to a teacher is he's saying if it's causing you distress you should confess it to a teacher not in the sense of we think of at least i think of because i was raised catholic i think of confessing as a terrible thing <laughs> but like it was a very very like uh you know overwhelming and i was more scared of confessing than i was of sinning as a kid you know but what he's getting at is if it's distressing you and you talk to a teacher, a teacher can help you with those things. And that's why you should talk to the teacher.
Um, so he goes on and he says, all of those Brahmins and contemplatives, in other words, people who practice in the course of the past, who purified their bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions, did so through repeated reflection on their bodily, mental, and verbal actions in just this way. All of those contemplatives and Brahmins in the course of the future who will do so, will do so in just this way. All of those who have done so currently will you know, do so in this way. And he says, thus, Rahula, you should train yourself. Um, I will purify my bodily actions through repeated reflection. I will purify my verbal actions through repeated reflection. And I will purify my mental actions through repeated reflection. That is how you should train yourself. This is what the Blessed One said, gratified Venerable Rahula, his son, delighted in the Blessed One's words. Now, Rahula had gotten had lied and gotten into, gotten caught. And so the Buddha went there to chastise him, you know, and that's what that's all about. And, you know, I imagine that he was probably pretty worried when he saw the Buddha coming, <laughs> uh, is what I imagine that, that that to have been like. But but he took it pretty well. And and I like the way the Buddha did this because he didn't go there and like tear him a new one. You know, he didn't yell at him like a parent might today. He he went there and he gave him some examples of how, um, you know, telling lies causes bigger problems. It upsets communities. It ruins relationships. And he talked about all these things. And he, he said that the, the solution, he said, is practice. And he said, reflecting before, during, and after your, your actions lets you learn from them. So practice is how to get better about it. And reflecting is how to see, okay, I did this. It caused this problem. I'm going to make sure I don't do that again. Or I did this and it worked great. I'm going to make sure I do that more, you know, and like reflecting before you do something while you're doing it and afterwards. And he says this over and over throughout the teachings. So I, I thought that was really good advice and timely advice. And so how do we practice wise speech in the context of gossiping and complaining? Well, there's mindfulness and intention. Just as I just finished talking about before speaking, pausing and reflecting on your intentions and then thinking, you know, are, are my words aimed at understanding and solving or are they coming from a place of hurt or anger or jealousy? And let mindfulness guide your speech, gives you the space to choose which one you want to do, choosing words that, you know, give us harmony or understanding. Now, um, that's a critical thing. So the mindfulness part of it is what gives us the space to be able to think about it and see before I say this, am I going to hurt anybody's feelings? Like um, we were we were talking before we started tonight about an example where somebody said something in the presence of the person they were talking about. And I don't know if they didn't realize it or or didn't care. I don't know. But reflecting on it and thinking about it before you say it will give you the moment to catch yourself and go, maybe I shouldn't say this thing before I, before I do, you know. And that kind of stuff happens a lot, you know. Truthfulness and compassion. You know, if you speak with truth, do it with compassion too. This is a, this is a personal one to me, this, this one about speaking the truth. Because before I came to the Dharma, um, before I discovered Buddhist practice, for probably 10 years or more, 
my maybe probably more than 10 years my, my i had kind of arrived i had searched all these religions and not found whatever it was i was looking for what i was really looking for was truth and people who were honest i craved that and and it's kind of funny cuz i'm reading this book series right now that really had an impact on me looking for people that were being truthful when i was young and i'm reading a new series by that same author and it's the origin of the truth tellers in that original series so it's kind of like i'm right now reading this thing that explains what i liked so much about that series at the time but what i loved about this book series the author is mercedes lackey and it's fantasy stuff and when i was a kid i read this series called arrows of the queen and then after that uh magic's the magic series or whatever and it was it was these novels that had these characters in it that were incapable of telling lies they could only speak the truth and they knew when lies were being told and i just loved that something about that really appealed to me maybe because i felt like i was never getting told the truth and and so for a long time in my life when i was kind of naive and young my i was close to what i believed in but i wasn't quite there i had this hardcore dedication to truth even when it hurt and so a lot of times i would be kind of a jerk i'll just be polite and say kind of a jerk um but i would be kind of a jerk because i would believe in this idea of the truth hurts you know sometimes the truth hurts so i would be very direct and 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 mean and i would justify it by saying i was being honest and and i didn't realize that at the time of course i thought it was a, a good way to live and a good way to be. And this part here about speak the truth but do it with compassion. I had the truth part, I didn't have the compassion part. And truth without compassion is just sometimes harmful. So the Buddha's guidance to to someone he was talking to one time was speak what is true and beneficial at the appropriate time. And that reminds us that truthfulness doesn't have to entail blunt honesty that can hurt other people. It's about finding the right balance and being honest while also being kind. And today I was talking to that friend of mine and I kept catching myself about to say something and I would stop and I'd go, mm, let me choose my words here. Let me be careful how I say this. You know, let me use some wise speech here. And the impression that they got was that I was trying to not say something that was that 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 they would feel was impolite or whatever. Really, I was, and I said, I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to watch my speech for your benefit. I'm watching my speech for my benefit, not yours. I'm watching it for my benefit because if I say those things, then it hurts me, not it hurts me first. It might also hurt other people, but it's going to hurt me first. So I'm trying to watch my words, not for someone else, but for me. So that one's a big deal. A constructive speech, focus on speaking words that build up rather than tear down. This means transforming complaints into constructive feedback. It means replacing gossip with genuine heartfelt inquiries of, and expressions of concern rather than disguised as that, you know. We want to cultivate the kinds of positive qualities like uh, speech that reflects loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, which are the four heart practices in the Dharma, uh, the Brahma Viharas. Let your words be a reflection of that you know, of, of wisdom and listening, you know, listening, wise speech is also 
about listening to other people, not just talking. It's about a lot of things. Wise speech encompasses how we text people, how we, you know, make, you know, faces, you know, my, 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 uh, my daughter, and I'm, I'm afraid she gets it from me, but my daughter is a master of conveying some pretty, uh, some pretty, uh, sarcastic things with her face, you know, and she gets that from me, I'm afraid, but, um, but, you know, speech is way more than the words coming out of our mouths. And it is also what we're doing as far as listening. So truly hearing what other people have to say, you know, listening is how we kind of open the door to empathy. It reduces our likelihood of having misunderstandings that lead to gossip and complaints. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a band called My Chemical Romance, and and their lead singer is a, a guy named Gerard Way, and he uh, he also created this comic book that turned into a Netflix hit show called The Umbrella Academy, and on that show there's a character named Allison, and she had the the power to whisper into somebody's ear the words "I heard a rumor," and then whatever she said after that, they had to do it they would be compelled to do what she said. So if she said, I heard a rumor that you jumped off of a bridge, that person would then go straight to the nearest bridge and jump off, you know. And uh, unskillful speech or um, false speech, idle chatter, gossip, complaining, negativity, all of that stuff is kind of like that, but in a much slower, almost more dangerous pace. It's, well, maybe not, <laughs> but much slower. So Thankfully, our false speech isn't that immediate where the person is just immediately going to go do the thing, but it can be every bit as powerful. When we gather up in little groups of people that are gossiping and complaining, it's much slower than Allison's power, uh, but that speech creeps and crawls around like a cancer and spreads very slowly or sometimes very quickly. And it's all dressed up in the disguise of something good as it spreads, people pretending to care about uh, you know, a particular thing or a particular person when really they're just trying to like plant seeds of discord, you know, it's always expressed as, oh, I heard so-and-so say or such and such, you know, or he said, or she said, or whatever. I heard a rumor, you know, but if someone is gossiping and complaining, it goes from their lips to your ears. The only way it spreads is if it leaves your lips. And in order for it to go into your ear, and leak out of your lips, it has to pass through a channel. And that channel has two different pathways. It's kind of like that pressure regulator valve or a valve. If you leave it set to the default, it just flows straight in your ear and out your mouth. You know, you're, that's what gossip is basically. There's no processing, there's no reflection, there's no thought, there's no care, there's no concern, there's no compassion, there's no loving kindness, there's no joy. There's none of that is in it. It just goes in your ear and out your mouth to the next person that's listening. And it spreads that way. And it gets worse as it goes. It's like that game telephone that we play when we were kids, you know. And But if you take the time, which is mindfulness, if you take the time to turn that valve, then you can reroute the water through a filter. And that filter cleans that water. It gets rid of the unskillful debris. And what comes out of your lips can be, if we choose to make it so, purified, skillful words. Instead of playing a nefarious game of telephone, I heard a rumor, you know, we can transform the gossip 
from gossip into wise speech, which might be to say nothing at all, or it might be to take skillful actions, or it might be to say kind and thoughtful and helpful words instead of those harmful words that people are spreading around. So that's kind of all I have to say on it tonight. Um, you know, when you're when you're all clogged up with your gossip drain, if you're stuck in one of those called Dharma Rooter, that's the name, and away go the troubles down the drain. That's what you want to do. You want to flush those troubles away by by rerouting them through that filter, and that filter is mindfulness and reflection. You're still here? It's over. Go practice. Go. Chickala.